Welcome to Not Work Storytelling. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host and lead storyteller, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a myth worker, a story healer, a coach for writers and creative entrepreneurs, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, A Woman's Way to Freedom, Power, Love, and Magic. If you love what you hear and want to support the show, I'd be so grateful if you'd become a paid subscriber on Substack. In my newsletter, Myth is Medicine, you'll receive bonus content related to the stories on the show and deep dives into how mythology and folklore can help the individual and the collective in the present moment and beyond. There's a link in the show notes to follow Myth is Medicine on Substack, or you can simply visit mythismedicine.substack.com. Season 4, Episode 4, Birth, Death, and Rebirth, A Story of the Goddess Lilith. Our guest storyteller is Pearl Greger. Pearl is an explorer and a seeker. She is a writer, a dream coach, and a storyteller. She is the author of the three books in the series Dreams Along the Way and an international public speaker. Pearl is a farmer, a grandmother, and a crone of wisdom and she's returning to not work storytelling for the second time. Pearl experienced years of personal turmoil beginning at about age nine. Nothing but nothing worked. Then at age 43, she discovered meditation and in December, 1988, learned that she could ask for a dream. That first dream unleashed an avalanche of change. Like the myth of the goddess Inanna, Pearl lived the descent into the underworld. Like the myth of the goddess Lilith, Pearl has lived this process of life, death, and rebirth. Join Pearl to explore the deep mysteries of dreams, psyche, and soul. You can read her books or join in her latest passion, her Dream Readers Myth Circles. Find her at dreamsalongtheway.com. Before we explore this week's story, I have a question for you. What about your stories? Whether it's a book project that wants to be birthed, deep, authentic writing to support your business, or a personal creative project you can't quite name yet, I'm here to support your process and help you get your words onto the page and into the world. I work with folks who are writing memoirs, chronicles of the spiritual journey, and books that explore healing and the imagination, even as they explore the toughest truths of life. I support entrepreneurs, especially coaches and therapists in private practice, who wish to weave their personal experiences with their professional knowledge and wisdom. Do you want to build a writing practice and develop the ideas you know you must share? Visit my website, marisagowdy.com, to learn more about my writing coaching services and set up a free 30-minute consultation. I am so happy to welcome Pearl back to Not Work Storytelling. And as is our way on the podcast, first, we ask the story to speak for itself, and then we'll explore all the ways it still matters. So Pearl, will you tell us a story? I'd be delighted to tell you the story of Lilith. I am Lilith. Mine is a forever story. I hold multitudinous secrets of the ancient feminine. I am the emerging energy of the mysterious dark feminine. Friends, I am the most complex figure in spirituality, and now I am rising up from beneath centuries of patriarchal bedrock. I bring dreams and visions to those who search with eyes open and ears attuned to the whispers of women 
singing the lament that frees the soul. I reach for a new essence, one that brings soul to surface. I help you birth a soul-led life beyond external authority and the superficial conformity and a dependency on the whims of the marketplace. I have told you I am ancient, but you have rarely heard my name. I have been sold out, written out, and left out. My spirit has been dented, scorched, and dismembered, but it can never be killed. You know deep within that the real story remains in the heart that beats with love. Most of the stories you have been told, if you even heard I exist, are wrong. I was officially written off as evil. Eight centuries before Christ, I was known as the notorious night demoness, a seductress of innocent men, a child killer, and the partner of the devil. Some even said it was me, that woman with the long hair and the mighty wings, who guarded the gates of the Garden of Eden. Perhaps you've heard that I was Adam's mistress, a rival and enemy of Eve. From there, I suppose it's not a stretch to name me Satan's eldest daughter or a storm spirit who destroys the world with savage winds. The Talmud is the source of much of these tales, most of it libelous and full of misrepresentations. The Bible has only one rather vague reference to me. Whether they lavished attention on falsehoods or ignored me altogether, I can tell you that the stories that emphasize the evil always arise from the minds of patriarchal people who seek to hold power over all things feminine. The Orthodox feared I would tempt women back to the cult of the goddess, as if such a temptation was necessary. Ha! So many of these stories are older than old, but I still lingered at the edges of the scribe's imagination across millennia. So about Adam, about the man whose name came to define me for so many it's me, it's true. I was his partner. We were created equal. We both came from the earth and were placed in the Garden of Eden. But we were unable to find peace and joy in our relationship. Adam seemed determined to play, I am the boss. He decreed that I should lie beneath him. As his earth formed equal, I refused. I could see no way out of Adam's determination to overpower me. And so I uttered the ineffable name of God, rose high up into the air, and flew away, supposedly to the place where demons dwell. And then the story takes flights of even more foul patriarchal imagination. There, they say, I became the she-demon, copulated with demons, and bore demon children. They declared me a hellraiser. But back in the garden, Adam became a sympathetic figure. He appealed to God. Please, he exhorted, send my wife back to me. And so God sent three angels, Senmoy, Sansenoy, and Simangal, to find and bring me home. They found me by the wild waters of the Red Sea. You know, those same waters where the Egyptians perished in the days of the Exodus. The angels told me that God demanded that I return to Adam. They threatened to kill me if I refused, but refuse I did. I argued with the angels that God had created me from the earth equal to Adam. They screamed at me, you are cursed, 
A hundred of your demon babies will die daily. But I continued to argue. Finally, they agreed to let me go if I promised to behave whenever I saw their three angelic names written on the doors of Jewish houses. There seemed no way around these demands, and so finally I agreed. They had a lot of nerve, thinking their holy names were necessary to protect newborn babies and single sleeping men from me. The legacy of that conversation would be tough to shake. Today, you will still find some of these doors engraved with the names of these three angels together with these words, Adam and Eve, out Lilith. Before they took their chisels to the doorway, however, the angel appeared to God in what I assume was a rather difficult audience. They reported their failure to bring me back, a penitent wife, ready to submit to her husband. And so God created Adam's second wife, Eve. The details of their union are rather fuzzy. You might check Genesis 1 and 2, for there you will find two very different stories. One says God created them in his own image. The other says God put Adam to sleep and created Eve from his rib, and therefore woman's compliance was secured. But I have always been more than the story of a failed marriage. All of these accounts of my wanton ways are but a projection of patriarchal consciousness. The patriarchal version of me rests on an incarnate desire and male fear of women and wild nature. I am the femme fatale, the whore, the streetwalker, the fallen one. I am Eve's shadow sister. Arish Kegel was shadow sister to Anana. But really, who am I? Let me tell you one more little tale of who they say I am. The Zohar, that collection of Kabbalistic mystical thought, would have you think that I come from the husk of evil that fell from the waning moon. Yes, you heard me correctly. In the story, the sun was victorious and the moon was named evil. Sounds a lot like the story they fabricated to create fiction between men and women. Sounds a lot like the way the so-called civilized world declared nature to be evil. By now, you must understand that the stories of my own evil nature are somewhat exaggerated. All of these stories piled up so that both the learned scholar and the simple peasant often feared me equally. The belief that I should be labeled demon has endured for over 4,000 years all the way from ancient Sumer to this very moment. You must have heard it said that a myth never was, yet always is. Myths usually explain some aspect of nature or human action that is necessary to a cultural belief. Tell me, do you know what is the purpose of this myth that creates a demon woman? Let me say it plain. Stories that equate me with the darkness and then call that darkness evil have gone too far. I am now returning as the earth is in such desperate need of its feminine energy. I am rising. I am emerging from the unconscious of the women and some men from around this world. Know that you have heard only fragments of the truth of my existence. You are left with sad attempts at my erasure and reduction. 
you have heard the tales of my punishment. You only know the cost of my insistence, my dedication to independence and equality. There is some hope that the ancient truths will be revealed. Since the discovery of the early Christian and Gnostic texts near the upper Egyptian town of Nag Hammadi in 1945, anthropologists, including women, have joined in the archaeological digs that are unearthing my story piece by piece. Ancient rock and papyrus coming up in pieces. Ancient stories coming up in pieces. Ancient languages coming up in pieces. The circles are connecting. I will leave it there. I have served up but a few of the mangled images that make up my origin story. I offer these scraps so that they can be laid back into the earth so a new truth can emerge. Today, the reemergence of the dark goddess comes through the new old transformation story of birth, death, and rebirth. I gave rise to the unconscious and say to the feminine aspect of wisdom arises from the unconscious depths of our psyche. My story continues to emerge through dreams and through healing, one woman at a time. Rest assured, my reappearance as the harbinger of the new paradigm of healing the feminine. I am rising. We will rise. Um, Pearl, thank you for giving the story, a story, a collection of many stories of Lilith. You're very welcome. And knowing you, that story is really just part of a bigger collection you have. Because the story of how you first met Lilith and got to know Lilith is every bit as compelling as what you have woven together from the oldest sources. It was the biggest surprise of my life. Yeah. When I found Lilith. The first day that I met Lilith was May 20th, 1993. I was at a conference. The conference was aptly named Creating a Caring and Equitable Society. In retrospect, that's why Lilith showed up, I'm sure of it, because I was there trying to make sense of a conference where there was a huge issue that the first evening over the fact that the Nell Nodding's book, which we were paying a great attention to, the whole conference was raised around her book. What was the name of Nell's book? Didn't Nell, Nell, Nell's book have an interesting title? It was called Creating a Caring and Equitable Society. That's why the conference was named after that. Okay. She was the main speaker. Mm-hmm. And she's a very good speaker and very, very attuned to the inner world, as I would, I would believe, because she's into the caring and equitable society. Right. In any case, when there was time for a conversation, the first thing that came up was the cover of her book. And the complaint was that it was pink. <laughs> now, I could not believe this was coming out of the mouths of a group of very well-educated scholars from across Canada, because this was a Canadian conference of educators. And this was not a book publishing conference where they had where they were allowed to have an opinion on the choices of her cover design. These were this was a conversation amidst educators and administrators. Educators and all kinds of educators from across Canada. Many mm-hmm. of them were from universities. Mm. These were all high up people. Right. And their first complaint was the pink cover of the book. Please help me. Somebody please help. 1993. <laughs> 
that had happened the evening before. Mm-hmm. I was not very happy. That morning I had sat out beside the river and watched the river go by. You know what a river is like in Banff, Alberta mm-hmm. in May. It's mm-hmm. huge. It gave me the real understanding of what the feminine always is about and the necessity of a strong masculine to hold the feminine. The water was coming down from the mountain, and it was gushing down the mountain, and it had all kinds of debris and dead animals in that mountain stream. Mm. And yet, as I sat there, I could see it arriving in the Fraser Delta in B.C., and I could imagine the deep, dark soil that was being created as that mountain of water went down to the river, but it was being held by the banks. The banks were holding. That's the masculine holding on to the feminine. Mm. So that afternoon, I had stopped on a bulletin board inside the Banff School of Fine Arts, and there I saw the name of a Reiki practitioner. Mm -hmm. Impetuously, I phoned and made an appointment for that same evening. When he arrived, there was a young lady there. I've never seen her before. I've never seen her since. Mm -hmm. She started the Reiki session. I went immediately into a deep meditative state, which I was my want in those days. Mm -hmm. And very soon, a a set of praying hands appeared over my head. I was astonished. Light, translucent blue praying hands emanating light. Mm. And then a vulture with wings spread wide. And an owl both appeared. And then a voice said, the flesh is weak, but the bones are strong. The vulture eats the flesh. I am the vulture. I didn't know what to make of that. I later learned that the vulture, according to Marilyn Stone, is the goddess symbol for Lilith. Then the Reiki treatment went on, and it was a rebirthing of my eldest son. Mm -hmm. And all the toxicity from that birth, which was a very painful, I had gone to the hospital, I don't know how many times, and the boy was two weeks late. Mm. So when they finally had to bring him on, and that baby was born in less than an hour. So I was torn from end to end. I had 28 stitches, Mm. and I was doing nothing but sleep for the first 24 hours, never mind the child. So the nurses were frantic with me by the time I was awake enough to feed this little boy. In any case, that's what I was rebirthing going through that whole trauma. So please don't tell me that Lilith is not on the side of women, (laughs) because she helped me to rebirth that baby. And it was a beautiful birth. I had asked the Reiki lady if she would put a bucket under my feet. That's how real that treatment was, because there was brown goop running out of my body, out through my feet, mm-hmm. which, of course, you would know is imaginary, but that's how real it felt, was I wanted a bucket to hold that, that toxicity that was running out of me. So when that Reiki experience ended, there was a tree, a large tree, like the Garden of Eden tree, or the tree of life, mm-hmm. and it had the snake in the tree. Uh, The snake, you know, is the goddess of wisdom or the symbol of Sophia, the goddess of wisdom. So I knew that how powerful that treatment really, really was. That treatment has stayed with me. I can still feel it today. Mm -hmm. If I think about Lilith, I can still feel the frictions of excitement that go through my whole body. So that's my Lilith story. That's my introduction to Lilith. Yes. Thank you for bringing us there with you and taking us to that moment of being with goddess. I almost wanted to say kind of being at her feet, but I really feel as if you two were in such powerful partnership. There wasn't necessarily that sort of hierarchy at all. Of course, she is a goddess of equity. 
and giving us that window into the healing of your birth story decades after and just giving folks a window into the sense that that's possible, whether it's for birth trauma or any other kind of trauma we're carrying around. This is part of the work that we're here to do in energy work and working with mythology and encountering these these divinities and deities. Thank you. I think dreams are so important in reinterpreting our lives and helping us mm-hmm. to heal our inner world. That, that, that Lilith is part of that healing is a very profound statement, I think, because most of the stories about her are that she's an evil demon woman. Right. right. Which is, we know that women have been turned into evil and demons since in Christianity, since Eve. Mm-hmm. And knowing that Lilith asked that question of why did they do it? But she does not answer it, which I in your story, which I think is really potent and powerful. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't figure out that she knows what men are thinking. She just knows that they they're everything that patriarchy is not good for women. So, Pearl, you mentioned the power of dream, and I know that that is so fundamental to your work. Right. And Lilith has been part of your dream life as well, right? She's reappeared. She reappeared. Sometime later, in mm-hmm. that same, it was in November of 1993. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't the same black moon Lilith cycle of the moon. Mm-hmm. In any case, we lost our understanding of the moon through the creation of making the moon evil along with nature. Somehow yeah. they made nature and the moon evil. Don't ask me how that's possible, but it was made possible by the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. In any case, I had a different dream on November 9th, 1993. It's a dream I, I I didn't have a clue what it meant till I woke up and I knew that it was called, the, the word was Eleusinian. Mm-hmm. So in the dream, I hear a, from a misty faraway place, I'm in an unknown place, and someone speaks of Eleusinian mysteries. Yes. When I wake up, I'm searching everywhere for the word Eleusinian. I don't even know how to spell it, for heaven's mm-hmm. sakes. Mm-hmm. So it takes me a long time. But when I wake up that morning, I think for the very first time, I am pleased I am woman. I'm 48 years old. Mm -hmm. And I think back to my first menstrual experiences, which were very painful, always painful. I came home every month from the school. The principal had to drive me home. That's because I had been molested as a preverbal child, which I did not know then. Mm. But that makes for a very painful aspect of the feminine in your life. So in any case, that that dream brought me to realize that I was a real woman and that it was okay to be a woman. So mm-hmm. that became an incredibly important experience in my life. The, when I reached behind me in that dream and there were three layers of cardboard and a voice who said, you can't touch that. And I said, I'm doing it anyway. Huh. So when I reached back, I realized these three layers of cardboard meant something, but I had no clue what. Later on, I found it in a book of symbols. And the first layer is the agrarian layer. The second layer is a psychological layer. The third layer is a metaphysical layer. That's Mm -hmm. of our inner world. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly what that all means, but the dream says there's three levels of meaning. And it's a deep story of women's ancient blood mysteries of birth, death, rebirth. Those mysteries. The Eleusinian mysteries go back, they're ancient, and they they started way at the time of Lilith, and they didn't mm-hmm. end until about 325 AD. 
325 AD, the, the Council of Nicaea called by the Emperor Constantine to try to read, to unite the Christian aspects of religion because they were all over the place. There was no one true church. There was no such thing. There was small groups of people everywhere and they were doing their own thing. And so he decided they had to be unified under the Roman, Holy Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. So he called a, a group of men together and they decided that that the Eleusinian mysteries were uh, her heretical mm -hmm. because they were the birth, death, rebirth, or, or uh, reincarnation, which Christianity there was only one life you were going to get. Right. And you better get it right in the first life or you were going to hell, yeah. which is so much. Three quarters of the world does not believe that. So that tells mm -hmm. me that there's a lot more of the birth, death, rebirth story than we know about. In any case, these deep mysteries, they were declared heretical by the Council of Nicaea. And they pretty much then women went underground, but they were very afraid all the time. Mm -hmm. So they eventually died out. The whole feminine aspect of Christianity was dead. Mm -hmm. And it's been dead really ever since. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how we're going to get that part back. It's slowly coming back. There's Roman Catholic women priests, which have been mm -hmm. declared not quite heretical, but they're certainly not very, the hierarchy is not very pleased with them. They've been called right. a bunch of gabbling women or uh, gossiping women or whatever. Mm. And they've been told to shut up, or mm. but they have refused to shut up. We're called yeah. Roman Catholic women priests. Mm -hmm. And I attend I attend my own mass with them quite often because we have no church. We can't we can't go into a regular church because we're not accepted there. Right. That tells me that they're they're not subservient men, women either. Yes. I don't know how much they know about Lilith, but I'll get an opportunity to tell them soon, I'm sure. Mm. In fact, I'll recommend they listen to the podcast. That would be a good idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because Lilith is rising and Lilith speaks. And what happens if this time she's heard for her story and her mystery, rather than endlessly yes. being trapped in the misunderstandings and in the co-opting and the making her into the foil that says, well, yeah. we certainly look a lot better if we've got demons over there. Our angels exactly. will look so much shinier. We've got a demon, especially a woman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She could not be a male demon, although they've she copulated with male demons as well, according to the mythology. But we know that's not true. Right. Though it being untrue, nonwithstanding, it's still fascinating that as the story would be carried down, much like today, if there was any copulation going on at all, it would be the female demon who was blamed, not the male demon. So totally. the more things change, the more they stay the same. It, it would look that way, although we're told that we're making great progress. I don't see a lot of the progress so far. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that Mother Nature can recuperate from all the, the evil we've done to her in our civilization. Well, the way that this season of the podcast has come together, I've spoken before about how it was very deliberately ended up being the voice of the divine feminine, and even more specifically, the voice of the dark feminine, the repressed and interrupted feminine. So knowing that you coming on to tell this story, this was the ideal moment for it. We've, you and I have been talking about Lilith for years. 
Yeah. And it's also no coincidence that just last week, the last episode we had out was with Sophie Strand, who is a brilliant essayist and just has a new novel out called The Madonna Secret. And much of what you're talking about right now in terms of talking about the way that the church's stories were all codified by that Nicene movement in the third century or the fourth century, right. it's all so very much entwined. And it feels like we're really able to be looking at all of these various hidden and yet emerging stories of the divine feminine within what we now call Christianity, but which really is a much vaster perspective on faith and an understanding in this interconnected cosmos in which there is a divine principle uniting all of us and calling us into a common story. Well, they found these stories in 1945. They found many of these stories, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel mm -hmm. of Thomas, mm -hmm. and those were all found in 1945, and they're slowly coming to light. It's mm -hmm. been a long time coming. I can't remember the name of the book. Maharita Gumbatas has recently been a, finally been accepted by the Archaeological Society as telling the truth with her excavations. And those are all to do with, she's got small figurines of, of Lilith, all the, all the different goddesses that were so much a part of it until the mm -hmm. men at the Council of Nicaea declared which books were acceptable from the Bible. They did mm -hmm. not accept the book of Esther or any of the books of Ruth or any right. of the books that had to do with the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. they, then they approved seminars available only to the men. Right. So as to how to interpret the books that they did allow to be published as part of the Bible. So the whole thing is looks like it was all cooked up for a long, great centuries. It's no wonder that the little story is not known until 50 years ago or 100, not even 100 years ago, 1945. I was born then. I'm 78 years old. That's not a long time to reinterpret the entire Christian religion. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. The divine feminine is emerging as yeah. it's time. It's definitely past time. Right. And there being a generation between you and me, I just, you know, it's so, I've been following the women priest movement for years, more like 15 years ago when I was wondering if I would indeed try to stay in the church. I had left and come back and there was a little bit of a bouncing back and forth in terms of, well, could the mystics hold me and keep me, though I had rejected everything quite wholesale by declaring myself a witch at 18. But it's at this point in my life, it's really that sense of saying, well, I'm fascinated by the storytelling. I'm fascinated by how we can really take this awareness, not to transform the church anymore, but instead to say, how do we transform our entire relationship with nature because that's a lot more pressing than making sure that the Roman body of men are able to continue to organize. And without any criticism of any of the perspectives, but I just, I'm always so grateful to hear your perspective from having been so connected to the church and finding ways to stay in relationship as an alternative to this kind of what my generations take, which is mostly throwing up our hands and saying, ah, forget it. I'll just read better mythology. Right. I found that it was a very great help to me in my healing world 
that I was in connected, so connected to the mystics. And yeah. that is part, that's the only church that I find mystic, mystical writings in, other than mm-hmm. the Jewish religion with the the Kabbalistic writings. Yes. And those are not really available to me because I don't read Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I met Liliana Kleiner a few years ago, and she's she's a great artist and a great person with a Jungian background, and mm-hmm. she's a, a student of Lilith as well, and in Anna. Mm-hmm. And her, if you're interested and anybody's interested in finding her work, she has her own website, and she's got stories of Lilith, and she has several books out, and her books she makes herself. She makes her own paper to write her books on, if you can believe that. She lives in a cabin in the woods. She spends most of her time on Gabriola Island. When she's not there, she's in Israel because mm-hmm. that's where she was raised. Mm-hmm. So she knows the Hebrew language inside out. Well, you know what's remarkable is that there's some level in which like, oh my goodness, she makes her own paper. That's so unbelievable. And yet here we are also in the midst of a conversation about ancient scrolls discovered in 1945 and whether or not the actual scribes were the ones who were making their own paper, just knowing that there are people continuing that immense relationship with the material world that matters and that endures that we have so lost track of when we run out to Staples and buy a ream of paper and It's just one of those moments of just pausing and remembering the grander scope here of what we're really talking about with a a goddess who goes back 4,000 years and who's just made of the ineffable. Totally. And it's so profound to actually know about her and know that people are very, like Liliana Kleiner, are so attached to her story. And Mm -hmm. they're they're telling her story in the modern world. Mm -hmm. And people are actually listening. Right. You know, yeah. So I was longing to go to BC to Victoria the other night because Liliana was presiding her her work again. And I know uh-huh. there'll be a lot more work that she's done since I saw her last, which was already four years ago. Mm. Oh, I hope you can. I would love to meet her again. Yeah. Because I went to Gabriel Island. I was invited there by her the night she gave her presentation in Victoria. And mm. I went there because. She invited me, first of all, but I was taken with her work. She tells the story of Inanna, mm. and she does such a good job of it. And that's her whole, she, she's got these books about Lilith that she's created, like I said, on her own paper. So they're, mm-hmm. they're very pricey, I can tell you that much. But she talks about the Hebrew language, and, and she has one example of the word prostitute and all the, the different meanings it has in the Hebrew language. And it, mm-hmm. it can mean everything from healing to to prostitution, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. one word means all of these different things. It's not like they claim it to be as to be evil. It is not that. It is meaning uh, goodness and love and healing. Mm, right. But it also has been turned into meaning prostitute. And I also find it really interesting that healing and any form of sexuality are on the same spectrum within a word. And is yeah. it, oh, look how at one point sexuality was healing and it always has been in our lived realities but in the languaging of the patriarchy when we combine those two words together it ends up becoming something that's a real vehicle for shame yeah exactly and it, it's a profound moment when you realize that the it's all been wrapped up in such a 
strange way that it's hard for the young people to discern what is being talked about. Mm. What is the truth about sexuality? Because there was every kind of different form of sexuality available to the goddess. And and we know that it was very prevalent and and it was talked about back then. Mm -hmm. Now it's a secret conversation or supposedly secret. And now it's trying to come out in the open and it's being attacked from every direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because sacred sexuality is still... That's one of the seems like one of the few pieces that's still verboten and confusing because we have mm-hmm. we have pornography everywhere because it's okay to make sex profane. That yeah. is what you can find on the internet any old time. But yeah. sacred sexuality is one of those conversations that hmm, we'll get back to you on that or we'll you know, back. continues. Yeah. Right. Marion Woodman writes a great book called The Pregnant Virgin. And mm-hmm. she also writes one that I'm not going to remember the name of about sacred sexuality, the sacred yeah. prostitute, I do believe it is called. And it's a, when I read that, I could not believe it because that was one of the sticking points that I was brought up, that Mary is a virgin and the mm-hmm. virgin birth did not include any men, which of course is, well, it's impossible, but nothing, the, the explanation was nothing is impossible with God. Right. Well, Mary wasn't God. She mm-hmm. was part of the goddess. Mm-hmm. They had to turn her into something that was untouched by male. Mm. It's is ridiculous to think that that would be sinful or evil. Right. That sacred sexuality would have to be made evil mm-hmm. to birth mm-hmm. the Christ. Yeah. So it's fascinating where we have in this story Lilith being such an advocate for equity. And yet we also know that what we're dealing with, too, is this real obsession with the separation of the sexes, of men and women. And that sense of purity can only be maintained if we are able to separate. And certainly what I've come to understand of the mystics, of our, our quest for divinity, is to Understand there is no separation, and we want to come back into oneness. That's where we're trying to get to, is being one with everything. And that would be very powerful if we could understand we are one with nature. We are no different than the animals. Mm -hmm. But we we insist on being a higher level of being, Mm -hmm. which is not true. It cannot possibly be true. Everything is created equal and all one. Even Lewis knew that. Especially Lilith knew that. (laughs) I'm reading a fascinating book right now by Jeremy Lent called The Web of Meaning that really bears out exactly what you just said around this sense of understanding our inherent animate consciousness that says, I would dumb it down to that sense of there is no separation and it, but it really is bringing us back again and again to saying we are all of the same stuff, consciousness as well as molecules. And you've also read Sophia Strand's book called Take Back the Magic. Oh, Perdita, her mother, Perdita's book. Yes, exactly. Perdita Finn. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a powerful reminder that the ancestors are with us at all times. And we, the earth comes from us and we come from the earth. We are the earth. That's a, and we are one with the earth and we need to treat each other like we are one with each other and the earth. She makes the point very well in her book. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And so, so much of Perdita's book is around that sense of communing with the unseen world and with our beloved dead. Again, pulling away that separation that says, well, I'm here now and they were here then and I can miss them, but heaven forbid, I should think I'm communicating with them and they're talking back because that's the stuff of seances or whatever it is that we've layered on as judgment. But I know my experience of reading that book was so much permission to settle into something that I'd always known in my bones and wanted so much to be true. Right. We know we are one with the ancestors. Uh, Even in Catholicism, we have a lot of of reverence for the dead, but not Mm -hmm. as much as she has. Not anywhere near as good as she writes it. Perdita makes it intimate and very real. Very, very real with her letters to her father. Mm Mm-hmm. That turn that make him into a real person, and as the, by the end of the book, he is a real person, and she's looking and having ex- conversations with with who she was before. Yes, which is really a powerful statement. And I realize it's very much a similar healing as you open us with talking about the story of healing your birth story right. and that being possible. It's then in the same way of Perdita healing part of her own birth story and going back to her relationship with her father and what it means to be a daughter. It all feels like it's all part of the same conversation and continuum. Yeah, and, and the fact that we were we were daughter, we were father, we were mother, we were uncle, aunt, child. We've been all things to ourselves. Yes. It, it makes you really stop and think about how to treat your family. Oh, that's such a subtle and deep truth just to sit yeah. with and be with. Yeah. yeah. So I want to call us back to Lilith as we start to land our conversation, knowing that so much of who she is, as much as she is unknown, what she is known for is so often the darkness and what's hidden. I was doing a little bit of research myself around the astrology of Lilith and the fact that there's four different Liliths up there yeah. that people could be talking about at any one time. There is an asteroid named Lilith, but the one we most often talk about is the apogee of the moon, right? And you were talking about that sense of the darkest part of the moon. Right. But I'd love to just explore a little bit of your understanding of shadow, of darkness, of what that has meant for you in uncovering the feminine and in your own healing journey and in dreams. Tell us Well, the Ellicinian mystery dream appeared after the night after I had had a ceremony with a group of women where we were washing each other's hands. And mm-hmm. it was a, we were giving appreciation or a thank you to each person who had shown up in this dream workshop. And it mm-hmm. was a, a ceremony of gratitude for these different people who had come. Mm-hmm. And that washing ritual, it seems to me, is a purification or a cleansing ritual. And the mm-hmm. women were very much one in that moment. And that Ellicinian dream appeared that evening and I, I learned that I was happy to be a woman for the first time in my life. Right. And I also had a dream workshop in which we spent an entire three-hour afternoon unpacking the word darkness. Mm. Because mm. the women said, well, it means evil. That's mm. the first thing that darkness has come to mean. And the right. dark phase of the moon has come to mean evil as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that is absolutely untrue because the woman, we are born from the womb. Mm-hmm. And which is a period of nine months in the darkness. Yes. We come from the darkness. The feminine is very dark. Mm-hmm. So that's my understanding of where the, the notion of Lilith 
and her the dark side of the moon is that it has the feminine side of the moon. Right. Right. And I mean, and obviously so much of your work is just a direct refutation of this equation of darkness with evil, of she who births as being evil. And that's really at the core of, as I would think you would say it, so many of our problems these days. Many of our problems. Yeah. We we equate the darkness. People are afraid of the dark. Mm -hmm. Yet that is the richness the dark, the black is apparently absorbs all colors. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so why, why would we not look at that darkness as a part of, of who we really, really are? That is right. my understanding of the shadow, is that we spend the first 20 years of our lives condemning ourselves for doing this or that or the other thing. We're told, don't do this and don't do that. It's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. We, we file that away in our shadow side. Mm-hmm. And that collects until then, we, when we're 20 years old or whatever, when we decide to explore our own inner world, we spend the next 50 or 60 years unpacking that shadow side and trying to bring it out because that's where our treasure lies mm-hmm. in our shadow. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is in the darkness where we hide, we try to hide everything, but that is a very potent and rich part of ourselves is the shadow side. The fertile side. The fertile yeah. side. That's where we yeah. actually find who we really authentically are. Because mm-hmm. we, it's an unconscious part of ourselves. You can't know your unconscious unless you become conscious. Right. So that becomes a huge part of dream work. Is to, that's the purpose of dream work. It's a deep spiritual practice. So you can unpack who you really are and find your authentic voice. Mm. Mm. That, that's the major purpose behind dream work. Is to get in touch with who you really are, which is mostly stuffed away in your shadow side. Lilith is a shadow of women. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's why she's so potent, because she is our shadow. And that's a beautiful thing when you say it that way. Yes, it is. It's a very yeah. beautiful thing to rebirth our traumas. Because when we know that that it, Rumi who says the light shines through the wound or the through the wound, the light shines. However, he says it. It's in, it's a deep prophetic statement. Yes, yes. I feel like if we, if I were to try to sum up this whole conversation and perhaps think about it as something that Lilith is here to teach us and wants us to know, I'm really feeling that sense of that we looked at so many of the systems and structures that have not served us. And whether that's looking at the institution of the church that has changed the world over almost 2,000 years, whether it's the democracies that you and I both live in, whether it's the understanding of our own psyches that say good, bad, what's public, what's hidden, it feels like Lilith's real message here for us is that sense of saying, how can you look at the structure that you've built your life around? And do you have the courage? to name it as having been wrongheaded for a very long time. Right. And how can that wrongheadedness serve you in the end run? Because right. it, it can serve you once you learn how it works in your life. Right. right. And you recognize how much work is to be done in the deconstruction and then the recreation, almost as if we're talking about life, death, and rebirth. That's exactly what I, I would say that Lilith is the goddess of life, death, and rebirth. 
Well, Pearl, thank you for all that you have taught me over the years, both in terms of helping me with my own dreams and introducing me to these brilliant dark goddesses, Lilith and Anana, and so many others in your writing that I've been fortunate enough to know over the last number of years. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for tuning in to the Not Work Storytelling Podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. Creating this show is a labor of love, and your support will help me continue to craft and share stories through season three and beyond. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber over on Substack, where I'm writing and creating additional audio magic with my newsletter and content hub. Myth is medicine. You can find out more about my writing, my book, our online creative community, The Heroine's Knot, as well as how to work with me as a coach at marisagowdy.com. Music on the show is by the wonderful Beth Sweeney and Billy Hardy, a Celtic fiddle and multi-instrumental duo based on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The traditional reel we play at the start of the show is called The College Groves. Find out more about their music and shows at billyandbeth.com. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie Lenape tribe, whose name means original people.